You're listening to The Firsts, The Forerunners of Islam, the series that visits those distinguished as leaders of humanity, not only in history, but in the ranks of the next world. Dive into the stories of the giants who were the first of their kind as they rose to the occasion and became preserved inspirations for generations to come. With your host, Sheikh Dr. Omar Suleiman, let's meet the firsts. أعوذ بالله السميع العليم من الشيطان الرجيم بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم الحمد لله رب العالمين ولا عدوان إلا على الظالمين والعاقبة للمتقين اللهم صل وسلم وبارك على عبدك ورسولك محمد صلى الله عليه وسلم وعلى آله وصحبه وسلم تسليما كثيرا. So alhamdulillah رب العالمين we are now getting into a very unique set of people from those that welcome the Prophet صلى الله عليه وسلم to المدينة and I want to actually start off by saying that Next week, inshallah ta'ala, we will be off. Bidnullahi ta'ala, I'll be uh, out of town for one week, inshallah, and then we will continue the week after that. And it'll be a treat because we'll be talking about Salman al-Farisi radiallahu ta'ala anhu, who is one of my favorite people to talk about in terms of welcoming the Prophet sallallahu to al-Madinah. But tonight, inshallah ta'ala, we're talking about someone who's from the same genre of Salman radiallahu ta'ala anhu, except that he doesn't go through the same process, the same journey. And this is a man who, like Salman anhu, is looking for a Prophet of Allah to come and who is sincere in his pursuit. And so we've talked about the Ansar from Al-Aws and Al-Khazraj, from the two main tribes that were sick of the fighting in Al-Madinah and ready to receive a Prophet who would teach them a new way. And now we're talking about people who already were convinced in the oneness of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and convinced that a new way was overdue and were simply waiting for a prophet to arise so that they could follow him and that they could support him. This man, subhanAllah, is probably one of the most interesting and fascinating stories from all of the people of Medina that we will talk about. He is the chief rabbi of Medina, the chief rabbi of Medina, the most senior person from the three main Jewish tribes that exists in Al-Madinah. His name is Al-Husayn ibn Salam. And Al-Husayn with a sad, not like Al-Husayn, the grandson of the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. Al-Husayn ibn Salam, Ibn Al-Harith, Abu Yusuf, Al-Isra'ili, Al-Ansari. Now, I have to clarify when I say Al-Isra'ili, I'm not talking about the European colonial state that was created 70 years ago. I'm talking about from Bani Israel. Why? Because this man is actually a descendant of who? Ya'qub alayhi salam. And specifically, subhanAllah, he's a descendant of Yusuf alayhi salam. So the chief rabbi of Al-Madinah, the descendant of Yusuf alayhi salam from a tribe known as Banu Qaynuqa'a. Banu Qaynuqa'a. Now there were several tribes, Jewish tribes that had settled in Al-Madinah. Of course, at that time it was called Yathrib because they saw that the traits and the signs pointed to the Prophet arising in that place. So the description of the next Prophet was that he was to arise in that place. So you had a few Jewish tribes that settled that area. The three main Jewish tribes are Banu Quraidah, Banu Nalir, and Banu Qaynuqa'a. Okay? And he is the most senior of Banu Qaynuqa'a, Al Husayn ibn Salam from the lineage of Yusuf And SubhanAllah, as these people had come to Yathrib at the time, of course, 
you know, you had many social dynamics that placed the Jewish tribes in that area in a very interesting category. For one, you had an insecurity of sorts from the people of Arabia towards the people of the book. The pagans in Mecca respected, it's ironic because they rejected the Prophet with such, uh, with, with such malice, but when it came to the Jewish tribes in Medina, the pagans in Mecca, though they worshipped all the gods that they worshipped, they still respected the Jewish tribes as learned people of scripture, right? As they respected Najashi, the Christians from Rome, they, they had a certain level of respect and honor for them, but of course, to them, there was no concept, not just of the oneness of God, but no concept of the akhirah, of the hereafter. They rejected the entire notion of the akhirah, of the hereafter. But they still had this idea that these people were superior to them, that they had some sort of a scripture, that they had some sort of divine revelation. Of course, even the people of Mecca had some sort of adherence to uh, Ibrahim and a respect for Ibrahim knowing that they were from his lineage, but having absolutely no attachment to his religion. Also, the people of Yathrib were largely the two tribes of Al-Aws and Al-Khazraj who were killing each other off, whereas the Jewish tribes were not really involved in that internal politic. They had some connections with them, they had trade with them, they had you know, a, a very strong influence in Yathrib in terms of the social life, in terms of the economy of Yathrib, but not so much when it came to the internal dynamics of these two main tribes of Al-Aws and Al-Khazraj that were really killing each other off. They were uh, still very much so respected and looked to in terms of the overall decision-making and they were all about to gather upon the leadership of Abdullah ibn Ubay bin Salul, the chief of the hypocrites. Remember, all of the fitna that will take place in Al-Madinah, you know, in terms of the hypocrites, is just because Abdullah ibn Ubay bin Salul did not get his crown. He was ready to be crowned as their king. They were all going to sort of agree upon him as the main man. And the Prophet ﷺ coming to Medina undermines all of that. So they're uniquely placed. Now, amongst them are those who are sincere pursuants of religion. You know, sincere seekers of deen. And they are devout students of the Torah and looking for this Prophet of Allah. Amongst them are those who are looking for the power in that region because the assumption is that the Prophet will be from Bani Israel. And so if the Prophet is from Bani Israel, then that's going to solidify a certain power dynamic in the region. And SubhanAllah, you can see that there is a common denominator in all of those that rejected the Prophet wasallam. they all cited one problem, not his character, but he's not one of us. The tribes in Mecca said he's not one of us. Abu Jahl, the, the person who became the Pharaoh of this Ummah, who would acknowledge in private, he said, what he says makes sense and it's clearly divine, but he's from Banu Hashim. And if we give him that authority, if we acknowledge his prophethood, then he will now have superiority over us. Abdullah ibn Ubay ibn Salul turns this all into a dynamic of what? That this prophet is coming, or this man is gonna come and corrupt what we've built over here. But at the end of the day, he just wants to be in charge. And we will see when we talk about Safiya, radiallahu ta'ala anha, our mother Safiya, whose father, was from the, one of those, uh, those tribes, you know, you would think he would be excited to see this Prophet of Allah, but once he realized the Prophet of Allah is not from the lineage of Bani Israel, he became right away a staunch enemy of the Prophet At the end of the day, this was a power game. How do we cede our ground, our authority in a highly tribal world 
to this Prophet from Banu Hashim. Abdullah ibn Salam radiallahu anhu, and we'll get to how his name is Abdullah ibn Salam, is not just one of those who is sincere in his pursuit of a Messenger of Allah, but he is distinguished in his pursuit of the Messenger of Allah. Now, I want to talk about him in Al-Madinah before the Prophet comes to Medina. He is known as the most knowledgeable man in Medina. Number one, he's distinguished by his ilm. Number two, by his character. So people used to sing his praises. They used to say he's the most honest person, the most pious amongst us, the most humble amongst us. So they had nicknames to sing his praises. He is a person who was known for engaging in honest trade. Okay? So he did not abuse his religious authority. And that's something that was actually very respectable about him, radiallahu ta'ala anhu, was that he didn't use the religious place that he had amongst them to give himself a certain economic advantage in Yathrib at the time. Instead, he used to go and he used to take care of his own gardens. He would pick his own dates from his trees. He would sell wheat and barley in the marketplace just like everybody else because he wanted to make an honest living. So he didn't abuse the religious authority that he had amongst the people for his economic benefit. And they said he was extremely latif, very gentle, a very gentle person. And his day was divided into three. This is very beautiful, subhanAllah. They said that he had a regimen of how he divided his day into three. One third of the day was in the synagogue. And he would worship and he would teach. So every day he'd spend one third of the day in the synagogue. And you'll see when we get to the story of Salman anhu, this one third, one third, one third. So one third of his day was in the synagogue, worshiping Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and teaching the Torah. Another third of the day, he would go into private isolation and he would recite the Torah and study it and do dhikr and remember Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So one third was public worship, one third was private worship, and one third was him farming in his date palms and taking care of his, of, his, of his business basically. So he had one third to the public teaching in the synagogue, one third to his own recitation of the Torah, and one third which was dedicated to his own economic uh, benefit, just working in the gardens and selling uh, his barley and his dates in the marketplace at the time. And subhanAllah, he was specifically, you know, uh, attached to the verses about the coming prophets within the Torah. Remember, there are all these verses about a prophet to come. So he specifically had an attachment to those verses. And he used to study those verses, and he used to talk about those verses. And he used to supplicate to Allah that Allah would allow him to live long enough to accompany this prophet. Remember Waraqa, the biblical scholar, radiallahu ta'ala anhu, in Mecca. Waraqa's regret when the Prophet comes to him is that I wish I could live long enough to be with you when your people run you out, when they persecute you. Abdullah ibn Salam, radiallahu ta'ala anhu, how old is he? He was 20 years older than the Prophet. So he's senior to the Prophet. Okay, he's senior to the Prophet and some of the narrations say he's about 10 years older, but he's senior to the Prophet 10 or 20 years older than the Prophet So he's hoping and he's longing as he's getting older that Allah will give him the opportunity to see this Prophet, the Prophet that the sincere seekers in Mecca, Zayd radiallahu ta'ala anhu, Waraqa radiallahu ta'ala anhu and others were looking for. And as this is happening, as he is reciting and teaching people about the, uh, the Prophet, he actually says that I had a feeling 
that the Prophet would migrate, based upon what he was reading in the Torah, the Prophet would migrate to this land, but he wouldn't be from this land. Meaning there was a hijrah that would precede the Prophet in this land. The idea was that he would rise in that land, but he was saying it would come after his persecution and his hijrah. So he says, he's now narrating his own story. He said, when I heard about a man claiming prophethood in Mecca, I started to inquire about him. So I started to ask the people that were going to Mecca about his name, about his qualities, about his attributes, about his claims, about what people were, seeing about, were saying about him. And he said, everything I found matched perfectly with what I was studying in the Torah. So his anticipation is growing that maybe this is him. Now realize that, you know, though it's like he's right around the corner in Mecca, He's waiting for some events to unfold in order to really test this, this prophet, right? And he says, then I heard that the prophet وسلم, had left Mecca and he was heading for Yathrib. And he said, and I remember the people going out into the trees for months, waiting for the prophet وسلم, to, to arrive at Quba. So he said, Every day when I was working in my palm trees, he, he said I would sit at the very top of the palm tree and sort of analyze the scene, see where they were with the coming of the Messenger and how the Prophet was going to be received. So he said, I was one day sitting at the top of the palm tree and I saw the commotion and the Ansar started to shout out that the Prophet had arrived. So he said, I shouted out just instinctively. He said, I said, Allahu Akbar, Allahu Akbar. Two times, he said, I shouted out takbir. And who was confused? He said, my aunt. He had an aunt by the name of Khalida. Khalida, radiallahu ta'ala anha, she would become Muslim afterwards. He said, my aunt Khalida, she looked at me and she was confused. And she said, said, what's wrong with you? If you heard that Moses had come, you wouldn't show this much excitement. Like, what is this reception? Because the assumption was that this is something that right now is relegated to the affairs of the Ansar. This really doesn't involve the Jewish tribes or the others right now in Medina. What is wrong with you? Why are you so excited? And I said to her, Ay Amma, I said to her, Oh my aunt, Huwa Wallahi, Akhu Musa ibn Imran alayhi salam. I swear by Allah that he is the brother of Moses. He is the brother of Musa alayhi salam. Wa ala dinihi, and he is on the religion of Musa alayhi salam. Bu'itha bima bu'itha bihi, and he was sent with what he was sent with. I swear by Allah that this is the brother of Moses who was upon his religion and who was sent with what he was sent with. And she said, Ay ibn Akhi, O oh, son of my brother, Is he the Prophet? This is a really interesting description, especially when we think about the way the end of times feels so imminent. Is he the Prophet that we've been told about in the Torah? There's an understanding that we've been told about a Prophet to come. Is he the Prophet that we have been told about that will come right with the day of judgment following soon after him, the hour following soon after him. Remember the Prophet said that 
his sending and the coming of the hour are like these two fingers. I mean, there's this much time. The Prophet and the end of this, this life, basically, the day of judgment arriving. And if you think about the span of human history, the Prophet وسلم, uh, until the end, Allah knows best, but you know, there, there are prophets and prophets and thousands of prophets that come before and how many years of human history. So relative to all of that, the Prophet وسلم's coming with the hour is very soon, being the last messenger So I responded and I said, Naam, yes, فَقَالَتْ فَذَاكَ إِذَنْ So she said, in that case, then I can see why and we accept as well. So Abdullah ibn Salam radiallahu ta'ala anhu, he says that after that, I went and I approached. And what's beautiful about Abdullah ibn Salam is that he actually gets to tell us his story about, you know, from hearing about the Prophet from far away to going and finding him amongst the crowd. And he's very vivid with the details. He said, so I went out to where the people were. And I started to go around the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. قَالَ فَجِئْتُ فِي النَّاسِ لِأَنظُرَ إِلَيْهِ So I, I kind of cleared the way and he mentioned there was like this traffic around the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. The Ansar were so excited to receive the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. So I went there and I started to make my way through the people and I wanted to get a very close up look at the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. And he said, فَنَظَرْتُ إِلَىٰ وَجْهِهِ عَلَيْهِ الصَّلَاةُ وَالسَّلَامُ I looked at his face, عَرَفْتُ أَنَّ وَجْهَهُ لَيْسَ بِوَجْهِ I looked at his face and I said, that's not the face of a liar. See, like before I have to ask any questions, before the Prophet even opens his mouth, I looked at his face and I knew it was him. I knew that's not the face of a liar. And so he says that as I looked at the Prophet the Prophet stood up to address the people for the very first time. So he's getting to witness the first khutbah of the Prophet to the people of Medina. And he says, The first thing the Prophet said, O oh people, spread salam, spread peace amongst yourselves. And feed one another. And in one narration, الأرحام, and, and establish your family ties. And pray at night while other people sleep. And you will enter into paradise in peace. SubhanAllah, this constitution of Medina it's very interesting because you think about the first impressions here, right? What tone is the Prophet ﷺ going to set when he, uh, you know, speaks in Al-Madina for the very first time? What's this man all about? Because remember, the Ansar who couldn't get along with themselves and they were from the same bloodlines are welcoming a man with a new religion and they're giving him this full authority. What tone is he going to set? You know, if you always watch the day of the inauguration speeches uh, of the presidents, right? In the United States, they're always like, what tone is the president going to set, right? What's he gonna say? What's he going to set? Because that's sort of, the, it, it's no longer uh, the campaign speech, right? Now it's real, now he's in charge. So a lot of the campaign speech suddenly changes with the inauguration speech. So what's he gonna say now that he has the bay'ah, now that he has the pledge of all of these people 
in Al-Madinah. And what's the claim of the Prophet The claim that the Meccans are making is that he's coming to divide families. He's coming to mess everything up. That his religion naturally you know, ruins the cohesion in society. And the first thing the Prophet says, Afshu salam spread peace. Did he say, Afshu salam baynakum, just amongst yourselves, like forget about the rest of them? No, he said, spread peace, Afshu salam. And while it's understood that, especially amongst yourselves, right? But what are you bringing to your society? You're bringing salam. You're bringing a sense of peace to society. And feed amongst yourselves. And of course, especially the poor amongst you, but not only the poor amongst you, you know, break bread with one another. Break bread with one another and especially don't leave out the poor. The Prophet one of the early narrations in Medina was when the Prophet said the worst uh, invitation is the one that the rich are invited and the poor are excluded when it comes to the feasts, right? Feet, break bread with one another and don't exclude the poor amongst you. And connect your family ties. I'm not here to ruin your families or to spoil your family ties. If anything, I'm here to strengthen them. The family ties are tied to the Arsh of Ar-Rahman, to the throne of the Most Merciful. Whoever severs those family ties, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala severs them from the throne. So establish those ties. And all of that, what's your spiritual energy? Your tahajjud. Pray at night while other people sleep. Pray at night while other people sleep. You will enter into paradise in peace. SubhanAllah. So talk about a first impression. I've been reading about him in the Torah. I come and I see him and I look at his face, sallallahu alayhi wasallam, and it is brighter than the full moon. And I see his smile for the first time, and that's what he says. His words match what he is saying, sallallahu alayhi wasallam, and there is sidq, there is a truthfulness that emanates from the face of the Prophet wasallam, that is confirmed with his words. So he said, subhanAllah, he said that after the Prophet did that, Abdullah ibn Salam was sitting uh, close to him. So he asked me, he turned to me, التفت إليه, he turned to me and he asked me, what is your name? So I said, Al-Husayn ibn Salam. The Prophet said, you are Abdullah ibn Salam. He changed his name to Abdullah ibn Salam. And Abdullah ibn Salam anhu said, Abdullah ibn Salam it is. And I'm not pleased to be called by any other name. The Prophet immediately did that. Now, by the way, this is actually a very interesting thing. Why did the Prophet ﷺ choose to call him Abdullah? A lot of times you have someone with, it, with an obvious bad name and the Prophet ﷺ changes the name to something that is good or a name that's inappropriate because it has some sort of divine quality or exceeds the bounds, right? With Al-Husayn, we actually don't know why the Prophet ﷺ changed his name to Abdullah and it may be that the Prophet ﷺ saw in him the qualities and the characteristics that he would be called by of the most beloved names to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, Abdullah, Abdullah ibn Salam. So the Prophet ﷺ said, you are Abdullah ibn Salam. He said, so it is, I am Abdullah ibn Salam. I don't want to be called by any other name after this. Okay? And then he says, I said to the Prophet ﷺ, Ashhadu annaka Rasulullah. I swear that you are the Messenger of Allah and that you have come with the truth. And the Jewish tribes know Sayyiduhum, Wabnu Sayyidihim, Wa'a'lamuhum, Wabnu A'lamihim. 
He said, and they know that I am the, their chief, their leader, and the son of their leader. I am the most knowledgeable of them, and the son of the most knowledgeable of them. Meaning, I come from a long lineage here of scholarship and leadership and respect. But the Prophet said, call my people, فَاسْأَلْهُمْ عَنِّي and ask them about me before they know that I've become Muslim. And then watch what happens when they know that I become Muslim. You see, subhanAllah, what happened to the Prophet Identical, an identical situation. He stood amongst his people on a safa and shahidu lahu, right? They bore witness. You're a sadiq al-ameen. You are the honest one. You are the truthful one. You're the trustworthy one. But as soon as the message changed, the description changed. So Abdullah ibn Salam said that the Prophet called my people and he said, and I was behind the curtain. And the Prophet Islam. he called them to Islam. And he said to them, you know that I am the Messenger of Allah that's been described to you in the Torah and that has come to you. So accept this message that I've come to you with. Now realize here, this, at this point when the Prophet is coming to Al-Madina, the Prophet is not making this a condition for safety. Right? There's already a treaty that's being drawn up, there are agreements that are being drawn up, there's a diplomacy, there's, there, there are other types of agreements in this regard. But the Prophet is invoking the religious part of them and saying, look, you know that I'm the Messenger of Allah that's been sent to you. They know him like they know his son, their, their own children. You know that I'm that Prophet. You know that I'm that Messenger. And they refuse to acknowledge the Prophet so the Prophet said, Abdullah ibn Salam. Prophet said, Tell me about uh, Abdullah ibn Salam amongst you. So they responded and they said, Sayyiduna wabnu Sayyidina wa a'lamuna wabnu a'lamina. The exact same thing that he said they would describe him as, right? So the Prophet is getting to know his position even more, and this is solidifying it. They said the words that he said they would say about him. So it's like a sadiq al-ameen, our sayyid, our alim, right? The Prophet has this experience. They said, he's our leader and the son of our leader. He's the most knowledgeable of us and the son of the most knowledgeable of us. And the Prophet وسلم, he said, أَفَرَأَيْتُمْ in Aslam? What if he becomes Muslim? And they said, حَاشَ مَا كَانَ they said, no way, he would never become Muslim, right? So the Prophet ﷺ, he said, Ya Abdullah, ukhruj. Abdullah, come out. <laughs> so Abdullah came out and he called them to Islam and he said, Wallahu alladhi la ilaha illahu innakum nata'lamuna annahu rasulullah wa annahu jaa bihaq. Said, you know that this is him. This is the Messenger of Allah. This is who we've been waiting for. And he's come to you with truth. And they completely denounced him and they turned their backs on him. So his own people were like, nope, not you. So that estrangement that the Prophet got from his people in Mecca as sort of this, this knowledgeable, beloved one, وسلم, but now he threatens the power dynamics with theology is happening now with Abdullah ibn Salam radiallahu ta'ala anhu suddenly, you know, he now loses all of that good credibility that he had for all of those years amongst his people. Now, subhanAllah, obviously with this position that he plays with the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, I mean, it's, it's 
important to really understand the dynamics here of what this means to have the chief rabbi of Medina immediately embrace you, right? With absolutely no hesitation, in fact, to come out and meet you in Quba and embrace you. Before the Prophet even built a masjid in Medina, he already had the chief rabbi of Medina embracing him and embracing Islam. So obviously, he's going to play this role in the seerah as a scholar, as a teacher, as an advisor to the Prophet ﷺ, especially helping the Prophet ﷺ sort of navigate some of the social dynamics with some of the tribes that were in Medina. But Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has revealed multiple ayat about this incident. And that's actually what's very significant, subhanAllah, when you're reading about a companion, and now you can connect some of the ayat to this one companion. First of all, Surah Al-Ahqaf, when Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, قُلْ أَرَأَيْتُمْ إِنْ كَانَ مِنْ عِنْدِ اللَّهِ وَكَفَرْتُمْ بِهِ وَشَهِدَ شَاهِدٌ مِنْ بَنِي إِسْرَائِيلَ عَلَى مِثْلِهِ فَآمَنَ وَاسْتَكْبَرْتُمْ إِنَّ اللَّهَ لَا يَهْدِي الْقَوْمَ الظَّالِمِينَ Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, have you considered that what if this is from Allah and you have disbelieved in it and a witness from Bani Israel has testified to it and believed while you turned away from it in arrogance. Allah does not guide a transgressing people. Now what was this? This is a very interesting ayah because Surah Al-Ahqaf is actually of the last ayat that were revealed in Mecca. So the khitab here, those that are being addressed are the people of Mecca as well as obviously by extension, the benefit and the lesson, not just to the people of Medina, but to everyone, right? But the scholars say that this was a bushra, this was a glad tiding. This, this ayah actually preceded the actual Islam of Abdullah ibn Salam, but it was a glad tiding that Abdullah ibn Salam would embrace Islam, right? And it would almost solidify what the Prophet was saying to the people of Mecca all along, that I am the Prophet that has been testified to by the Prophets of old, confirmed by the scriptures, and from the children of Ismail So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is speaking to the people of Mecca and saying, if this man, you know, you have an insecurity to the people of the book, to the Christians and the Jews, and the most senior Jewish scholar, the most senior Jewish rabbi is accepting the Prophet and you're turning away from him? What is wrong with you? What is wrong with the way that you think? Also, uh, Ibn Abbas and others, they said the ayah in Surah Ali Imran, they are not alike. Uh, when Allah Subh'anaHu Wa says that they are not all the same amongst the people of the book is a community that is upright. They're, they recite God's revelation throughout the night. They prostrate themselves. They believe in Allah Subh'anaHu Wa Taala. They believe in the last day. Uh, they believe in Allah in the last day. They uh, enjoin good, they forbid evil, and they rush to do good deeds. And they are from the righteous. So you'll find Mujahid and others say that is speaking about Abdullah ibn Salam, that he is the primary example. Some of them said Najashi and some of the Christians that embraced the Prophet Sallallahu but that many of the Sahaba and the Salaf would say, look at Abdullah ibn Salam. Look at Abdullah ibn Salam anhu, and how readily he was able to embrace what the Prophet Sallallahu came with and how beautiful his character was before Islam when he was a Jewish rabbi and how beautiful, even more beautiful his character became when he embraced Islam and became of the senior companions of the Prophet Sallallahu 
And also when Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, وَيَقُولُ الَّذِينَ كَفَرُوا لَسْتَ مُرْسَلًا قُلْ كَفَى بِاللَّهِ شَهِيدًا بَيْنِي وَبَيْنَكُمْ وَمَنْ عِنْدَهُ عِلْمُ الْكِتَابِ SubhanAllah. When Allah says, those who disbelieve, they say to the Prophet you're not a prophet, you're not a messenger. And Allah says to the Prophet say to them, Allah is sufficient of a witness between me and you and those who actually know the scripture. And Mujahid says, Huwa Abdullah ibn Salam. Allah is speaking about, once again calling to witness, Abdullah ibn Salam, whose knowledge of the Torah was so undeniable, right? That he is a witness as well to the Messenger, Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. So he is many firsts here, right? The first rabbi that we know in history to embrace Islam. Of course, some of those that were uh, people of the book in the general sense and uh, followed the way of Ibrahim السلام, could be described as, as rabbis in some sense, but he's the first formal rabbi that we know to embrace Islam. He is the first one to be testified about from the people of Medina in the Quran with multiple ayat. And he is the first person of Medina to be promised paradise. That is a, an amazing distinction. The first person from Medina to be promised Jannah, to be guaranteed Jannah, to be from the Mubashireen of Al-Jannah. Uh, in Sahih al-Bukhari, under the virtues of the Ansar, the book of the virtues of the Ansar, there's a chapter, Bab Manaqibu, Abdullah ibn Salam radiallahu ta'ala anhu, the virtues of Abdullah ibn Salam radiallahu ta'ala anhu, and it is a hadith from Sa'ad ibn Abi Waqas radiallahu ta'ala anhu, he said, ma sami'tu al-Nabiya sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, يَقُولُ لِأَحَدٍ يَمْشِي عَلَى الْأَرْضِ إِنَّهُ مِنْ أَهْلِ الْجَنَّةِ إِلَّا لِعَبْدِ اللَّهِ بْنِ He said that I have not seen a person on the face of the earth who the Prophet would testify to him being guaranteed Jannah like Abdullah ibn Salam Meaning it was on more than one occasion that the Prophet would say, this man is from the people of Jannah. And a man is going to enter upon you from Ahlul Jannah and Abdullah ibn Salam would walk into the masjid or he would walk into the gathering. So Sa'ad is saying, the shahada of the Prophet for this man was plentiful and established. And he said, and he is the one, وَفِيهِ نَزَلَتْ هَذِهِ الْآيَةِ He is the one who Allah revealed about, وَشَهِدَ شَاهِدٌ مِنْ بَنِي إِسْرَائِيلِ And a witness from Bani Israel has borne witness to the Prophet ﷺ. So that's one of the amazing manaqib, one of the amazing virtues. Now, of course, all of the Sahaba are of a certain rank. And the Prophet ﷺ gives them all their, their virtues. But to be amongst that group of people that the Prophet ﷺ guarantees Jannah in their lifetime, saying it to them, is a very special uh, distinction. And the narrations of Abdullah ibn Salam عنه, after the Prophet ﷺ comes to Medina, is a man who becomes as devoted to the Qur'an as the Torah. Okay, so he was devoted to the Torah and he became devoted to the Qur'an and he basically switched his schedule from the synagogue to the masjid, the Torah to the Qur'an and continued to dedicate himself to the Prophet and maintain the overall demeanor that he had within the, uh, within the, Mad- the, the Madani society. And the narrations about him subhanAllah all surround the Qur'an. A man who is asking about the Qur'an, who's looking to become as noble of a scholar and as learned of a scholar in the Qur'an as he already was in the Torah. So he says that a group of the companions of the Messenger of Allah وسلم, were sitting and we were talking and we said to the Prophet وسلم, لو نعلم أي الأعمال أحب إلى الله لعملناه 
that if only we would know what of the deeds are most beloved to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, we would certainly do it. فَأَنزَلَ اللَّهُ تَعَالَى So Allah revealed to our Prophet ﷺ سَبَّحَ لِلَّهِ مَا فِي السَّمَاوَاتِ وَمَا فِي الْأَرْضِ وَهُوَ الْعَزِيزُ الْحَكِيمُ يَا أَيُّهَا الَّذِينَ آمَنُوا لِمَا تَقُولُونَ مَا لَا تَفْعَلُونَ Allah revealed that uh, whatsoever is in the heavens and the earth glorifies Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala for he is the almighty, the all-wise. O oh, you who believe, why do you say that which you don't do? Meaning ikhlas, consistency, avoiding hypocrisy and being careful when you say that you're going to do something to actually do it. What's most beloved to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is sincerity. So Abdullah ibn Salam radiallahu ta'ala anhu, the narration continues. He says, فَقَرَأَهَا عَلَيْنَا رَسُولُ اللَّهِ صَلَى اللَهُ عَلَيْهِ وَسَلَّمُ The Prophet recited it to us. And then he recited it to Abu Salama. And then Abu Salama recited it to Yahya. So you can see even the ayah being recited in Surah Al-Saf as a response to this group of companions that were, uh, that were questioning what is the best deed to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Another beautiful narration about him actually comes from a tabi'i from the next generation. Qais ibn Ubad radiallahu ta'ala anhu rahimahullah he says, Kuntu jarisan fi masjid al Madina. I was sitting in the masjid of the Prophet. So put yourself in Medina now, sitting in the masjid of the Prophet. So this man walked in and he had on his face the signs of khushur, signs of humility. You know, subhanAllah, when Abdullah ibn Salam saw the Prophet, he said, That's not the face of a liar. And Qais ibn Ubad doesn't know Abdullah ibn Salam. He's in Medina, sort of as a student of the companions. And this man walks in and he says, what a beautiful face, tranquility, humility. There's so much there that you can see of devotion just from looking at him, subhanAllah, for the very first time. And he said, the companions then said, that's that man from the people of Jannah. In one narration, it was Abdullah ibn Umar. And Sa'ad ibn Malik saying, هذا رجل من أهل الجنة. So two companions, Abdullah ibn Umar and Sa'ad ibn Malik in one of the narrations, also authentic. Said, that man right there that just walked in on you, that's a man from the people of Jannah. So he says, فَصَلَّى رَكْعَتَيْنِ He prayed two rak'ahs in the masjid. And they were pretty light, meaning this was not at a time where it was a fard or preceding a salah. He entered into the masjid at a time when it's permissible to pray. He prayed two short rak'ahs. ثُمَّ خَرَجْ And then he left. قَالَ وَتَبِعْتُهُ So he said, so I immediately went and I started to follow him. فَقُلْتُ لَهُ إِنَّكَ حِينَ دَخَلْتَ الْمَسْجِدِ قَالُوا هَذَا رَجْلٌ مِنْ أَهْلِ الْجَنَّةِ He said, I said to him, you know, basically, oh my uncle, when you entered into the masjid, the companions, the people said, that man is from the people of Jannah. So he said, subhanAllah, wallahi ma yanbaghi li ahad an yaqoola ma la ya'lam. Like he was in humility, right? He said, people shouldn't say what they're not certain about. Like people should be a little bit more careful with their, their hastiness with these things. But Qais is like, okay, the Sahaba are saying this about you. What is your story? And there are a lot of narrations, beautiful narrations like this, where you had these, these converts that came later on that are following up with the companion saying, tell me your story, tell me your story, tell me your story. So what is behind this Confirmation from other companions that you are a person of Jannah. So he said, I'm going to tell you what it is that is behind that. 
He said, رَأَيْتُ رُؤْيَا عَلَىٰ عَهْدِ النَّبِيِّ صَلَى اللَّهُ عَلَيْهِ وَسَلَّمُ He said, I saw this dream in the time of the Prophet صلى الله عليه وسلم. فَقَصَصْتُهَا عَلَيْهِ And I told the Prophet صلى الله عليه وسلم this dream. Now remember, the companions used to come to the Prophet صلى الله عليه وسلم after Fajr. And the Prophet صلى الله عليه وسلم would say, who amongst you had a dream? And if it was a good dream, they would share their dreams. So he said, I shared this dream with the Prophet صلى الله عليه وسلم. قَالَ رَأَيْتُ كَأَنِّي فِي رَوْضَةٍ I saw myself in this beautiful garden. ذَكَرَ مِنْ سَعَتِهَا وَخُضْرَتِهَا And he mentioned, رضي الله تعالى عنه, its expanse and its greenery and the beauty of that garden. And he said, in the middle of that garden was عَمُودٌ مِنْ حديد, was this metal pole. Alright, so follow the dream. Abdullah ibn Salam is telling the Prophet I'm, I'm seeing myself in a garden and in the middle of the garden is this pole, this iron pole. So he says, أَسْفَلُهُ فِي الْأَرْضِ وَأَعْلَاهُ فِي السَّمَاءِ So the lowest part of it is pinned to the ground, and then the highest part of it is way into the heavens. I can't even see where it goes, right? It's, it's high up there. And he said, and from what I could see at the top, there was a urwa. There was a handhold. So I'm in a garden, I see a pole, I'm looking up at the pole, and there's this handhold at the, at the top of the pole from where I could uh, see. And he said, then a voice tells me, ascend, go get it. So he said, I said, I can't get up there. How am I going to get all the way up the pole and grab onto that? So he said that this person then came underneath me and basically ascended with me, pushed me up and I started to ascend in this garden until I got to the top of the pole. And he said, and I grabbed onto that handhold and he said, and I woke up and it was in my hand like I woke up right after I grabbed onto it so I grabbed onto it in the dream and then I woke up like finished my dream and it's like I'm clenching my fist like I was just there subhanAllah what a dream right so I was in a garden and there's a pole in the middle of this garden a handhold at the top and I'm told ascend and grab onto it and I didn't know how to and basically an angel takes him up I grab onto it and then I wake up and it's right after I'm holding onto it. So I came to the Prophet and I told the Prophet this dream and the Prophet was filled with joy and he said Islam. He said this garden that you saw is Islam. And he says Islam. And this pole is the pole of Islam. وَتِلْكَ الْعُرْوَةُ الْوُثْقَى And that handhold is the sturdy handhold. Allah talks about it in Surah Al-Baqarah, right? To hold on to الْعُرْوَةُ الْوُثْقَى It's the handhold of faith. فَأَنْتَ عَلَى الْإِسْلَامِ حَتَّى تَمُوتِ يَا عَبْدُ اللَّهِ So he said to Abdullah, you will be on Islam until you die, O Abdullah. And one narration, and you are from the people of paradise. SubhanAllah, what's the fear that these people have? Am I going to lose faith? Am I going to lose faith at any point? Right? So this was a bushra 
This was a glad tiding to Abdullah ibn Salam that you didn't just find Islam, but you will be on Islam until your death. And the Prophet guaranteed him paradise. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala make us amongst those that hold on to al-urwatul wuthqa and that die as Muslims. Allahumma ameen. So this is his status amongst the companions. He walks amongst them and they say, this is the scholar from the Jews, the scholar of the Muslims, the scholar of, you know, who became Muslim, the Torah, the Quran, nobility before Islam, nobility in Islam, a person who the Prophet admires, a person who you know, advises the Prophet on many things, and a person who narrates a hadith and ilm. And obviously you don't just bring that methodology and that rich knowledge and literacy prior to Islam and not excel in knowledge in Islam. So he became one of the great ulama of the Sahaba. And one of the testimonies to that is a man by the name of Mu'adh ibn Jabal radiallahu ta'ala anhu. Mu'adh ibn Jabal radiallahu ta'ala anhu, of course, being a great companion who was known for his ilm, known for his scholarship. Mu'adh radiallahu ta'ala anhu, when he was dying, and Mu'adh is the mufti of the companions. When he was dying, they said to Mu'adh radiallahu ta'ala anhu, awsina, give us some words, give us a will, give us something. So Mu'adh radiallahu ta'ala anhu said, sit me up. And Mu'adh radiallahu ta'ala anhu said, I tell you to seek knowledge from four people. Find ilm, seek knowledge and devote yourself to it and look for it from four people. He said, Abdullah ibn Salam, Salman al-Farisi, Abu Darda and Abdullah ibn Mas'ud. Abdullah ibn Salam, Salman al-Farisi, Abu Darda and Abdullah ibn Mas'ud. We already talked about Ibn Mas'ud radiallahu ta'ala anhu. Salman and Abu Darda are the next two radiallahu ta'ala anhuma. So, these are the four men that I'm telling you, if you want ilm, you need to go and dedicate yourself to them. And indeed, that is what people would do. They would dedicate themselves uh, to them. Abdullah ibn Salam radiallahu ta'ala anhu uh, had two sons that were born to him in Islam. Yusuf and Muhammad. Yusuf and Muhammad. This is so beautiful, subhanAllah. So he's a descendant of Yusuf alayhi salam. And his first son is Yusuf. So he is Abu Yusuf, Abdullah ibn Salam. And his second son is Muhammad. And both of them became scholars of the deen and had children that were scholars of the deen. And so you'll find narrations in ahadith where you have Muhammad, the son of Yusuf, the son of Abdullah ibn Salam, or Hamza, the son of Muhammad, the son of Abdullah ibn Salam, narrating and becoming scholars and teachers, respective teachers in their generations. And both of them are Sahaba. Yusuf and Muhammad are both Sahaba. And what's beautiful is that Yusuf says in an authentic narration, Yusuf, the son of Abdullah ibn Salam, he said, Samani Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wasallam Yusuf. He said, the Prophet sallallahu alayhi named me Yusuf. Of course, the Sahaba would come to the Prophet sallallahu and ask him to name their children. So the Prophet sallallahu named me Yusuf. How beautiful to the chief rabbi of Medina, who was a descendant of Yusuf alayhi salam. The Prophet sallallahu named me Yusuf. And he says, the Prophet ﷺ, he sat me with him, he brought me close to him ﷺ, and he, uh, and, and he uh, wiped my head. Meaning the Prophet ﷺ played with him as a child, he embraced him and he named him Yusuf. So he had these fond memories of the Prophet ﷺ, even though the Prophet ﷺ passed away when he was still a toddler uh, ﷺ. So you have these two children that went on to become scholars in their own rights and really extend the legacy in terms of ilm of Abdullah ibn Salam radiallahu ta'ala anhu. Also we find that the role that he played 
is advising the Muhajireen, advising people when they came to Medina about how to learn the ropes of Al-Madina. Okay, so Abu Burda عنه, he says, when I came to Al-Madina, he said that right away Abdullah ibn Salam came to me, قَالَ أَلَا تَجِيءُ فَأُطْعِمَكَ سَوِيقًا وَتَمْرًا He said, you know, come with me and let me feed you some of the best of what I have of uh, sawiq is, uh, is, is uh, it's like a sugared or powdered type of barley and tamar. So come to my house, let me feed you. Remember the first advice of the Prophet Sallallahu So he gave him salam and he said, come to my house, let me feed you. And he said, and let me enter you, let me take you to a, a blessed house that the Prophet Sallallahu has entered because the Prophet Sallallahu has come to my home already. Then he said, you are in a place where people deal in riba. The people deal in riba in this place, they deal in usury and interest. So he says, when someone comes to you and gives you something of a present or gives you something extra in the middle of a transaction, do not take it for that is a form of riba. Meaning be careful not to take something that is extra uh, as it is a form of riba and it's basically a subtle way that they deal in interest in this land. Uh, during the time of the Khulafa al-Rashidin, inshallah ta'ala, we're coming towards sort of the end. After the death of the Prophet um, he witnessed uh, many of the conquests, but his role really is limited for the most part to being a alim, remaining in a place of scholarship and teaching the people. He is written down amongst those who witnessed the conquest of Jerusalem, which is beautiful when you think about it. The scholar of the Torah, scholar of the Qur'an, and amongst those that entered into Al-Quds when it was opened under, Umar ibn al-Khattab radiallahu ta'ala anhu, and he is someone who had multiple companions narrate from him. Anas ibn Malik radiallahu anhu narrates hadith from him. Abu Hurairah radiallahu ta'ala anhu narrates hadith from him. And multiple sahaba other than his own two children. Uh, there is something unique about him in the time of the fitna. And it's always not pleasant when you get to this part of the stories of these companions that lived to see the fitna because they saw the height of Islam with the Prophet and then they saw when you know, these, these wars broke out and this, this instigating happened and you had these young people that didn't live in the time of the Prophet that became extreme in their ways and that started to even do takfir of the Sahaba right, themselves. Abdullah ibn Salam was the last person to address the people of Fitna before they assassinated Uthman He's the very last person to try to talk them out of their ways. Remember, you have this, you know, these youth that have basically been brainwashed by people on the outside, but now are instigating within the inside, and that are doing takfir of the companions. And they are surrounding the house of Uthman with all sorts of accusations that are crazy accusations about Uthman but they've become too many for him to refute at this point. And Uthman is refusing to let the companions kill them. He doesn't want blood to be shed in his way. So Uthman is in his home and this is when the siege has become very severe on Sayyidina Uthman and Abdullah ibn Salam enters upon him. And Uthman gives him salam and he says, what brings you to me, O my brother? And he says, nusratik. He said, I've come to support you. I'm here to help you. And Uthman said, then go out to them because you are far more beneficial to me out there than you are inside my home. Meaning what? I'm in a state of ibadah right now. If you want to help me, talk some sense into these people. Try to calm the situation down. Obviously, Abdullah ibn Salam is a scholar a senior elder amongst the companions 
who has widespread respect. So maybe you can calm the situation out there and you can stop this. So Abdullah ibn Salam, after Sayyidina Ali anhu tried and after Talha wa Zubayr anhu and others tried, Abdullah ibn Salam anhu is the last companion to stand up and to address these people and to try to convince them to, to wake up to their ways. And SubhanAllah, what he says is extremely touching. Extremely touching. And he says, Ya qawm, he stands up and he says, O oh people, لا تسلوا سيف الله فيكم فوالله إن سللتموه لا تغمدوه إلى يوم القيامة O people, do not unleash the sword of Allah upon you because if you unleash the sword of Allah upon you it will not be put away until the Day of Judgment Be careful, you're killing a righteous man, a righteous leader amongst you Umar was killed by a disbeliever your people who are Muslims and you're claiming to be Muslims and you're killing a righteous man amongst you. And if you do that, then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will unleash his sword upon you and it will never be put away from you until the day of judgment. And he says, Waylakum. He says, Woe to you. Inna sultanakum yuqawwimu He said that your sultan today, he rules you with with, with the light stick, you know, like the, what he's saying is that he's lenient with you. The person who rules over you is someone that's very lenient with you. He's not someone that's harsh with you. He's not someone that oppresses you. The reason why they're able to take advantage of Uthman is because he's so kind and so lenient with them. Otherwise, if he was a ruler that wanted to kill, he would have said, go ahead and wipe these people out because they're rising up against me. Saying, this is a man that is dealing with you with gentleness. And he says, فَإِنْ قَتَلْتُمُوهُ he said, if you kill him, if you kill this gentle sultan, this righteous leader upon you, then you will not be ruled except with harshness. What will, what will come after that is going to be very, very hard upon you because you would have unleashed an environment upon yourselves by killing this righteous and this generous man amongst you. He continues, he says, Woe to you, inna madinatakum mahfufatun bil malaika. So this place of yours, this Medina of yours, is surrounded by angels. And he says, فَإِنْ قَتَلْتُمُوهُ لَيَتْرُكُنَّهَا So if you kill this man, then these angels will leave us. If you kill this righteous man amongst you, these angels will leave us. And in one narration he said, Wallahi, he said, over 70,000 people were killed because of the unjust murder, the assassination of Yahya ibn Zakariya that after the assassination, the slaughter of Yahya who was a good gentle man to them, and after they killed him, then what was unleashed on them as a result of divine retribution was very, very difficult upon them. So be careful with the assassination of this righteous man amongst you. Unfortunately, what did these kids do? Kids, truly, subhanAllah, kids. They said, Ajlis ya Yahudi, sit down, O Jew, we will kill you and we will kill him basically dismissed them and moved them out the way. And that's when they went and they killed Uthman SubhanAllah, I mean, imagine they disrespected him in this way. And this shows you the nature of these people when they, they turned their hearts away from Allah's revelation, even though they thought they were reading the Quran, but they turned against the Sahaba this way. And they called him, uh, you know, they said to him, sit down, O Jewish man, we will kill you and we will kill Uthman We don't want to hear what you have to say. And so 
it was unfortunate, subhanAllah, but there's so much divine wisdom to what he said as well. He's saying to them, subhanAllah, look what Allah gifted you with. And if you don't do right by that blessing with a generous leader like Uthman anhu, and you instead respond in this way, then you're going to face divine retribution and divine consequences. And that's exactly, subhanAllah, what happens. The chaos becomes unleashed upon them as a result of the environment of fitna that they create. And Abdullah ibn Salam anhu is a man who is well read in history, the history of peoples before, the history of the Ummah, the history of the nations before, the history of Bani Israel, and of course now the history of Bani Ismail. He knows the stories, he knows the scriptures, he knows the lives of the prophets, he knows how this all works. And when Sayyidina Ali radiallahu ta'ala anhu then, you know, basically starts to make his way to Al-Iraq, Ali radiallahu ta'ala anhu to, to put an end to this fitna. Listen to what he says to him. This is again coming from a place of divine wisdom. He says, Ilzam min Rasulillah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. He said to Ali radiallahu anhu, I implore you, stick to the member of the Prophet meaning don't leave al Madina. If you leave the member of the Prophet then you're never going to see it again. Meaning if you leave Medina and you take this battle out to Al-Iraq, you'll never see the member of the Prophet again. You'll never see Al-Madina again. And SubhanAllah, Sayyidina Ali was assassinated where? In Kufa and Al-Iraq. In the same environment of fitan that existed. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala be pleased with the companions of the Prophet So. This was something sad that he lived to see this happen within his ummah and he was someone who decided to stay to himself in the fitna completely. Of course, we see the companions reacted in different ways. He was one of those that said, I want nothing to do with you know, wars and battles and fighting between people without illallah. So he took to his home and he abandoned it altogether and he stayed in al Madina and he stuck to the narration of the ahadith of the Prophet and he died a uh, natural death, in fact, radiallahu ta'ala anhu, in the year 43 after Hijrah, at a very, very old age, a very, very old age. Again, he was either 10 years older than the Prophet or 20 years older, so he would have been close to 100 years old at that time uh, when he passed away. And he is amongst those noble companions that is buried in Al-Baqir uh, with the family and the companions of the Prophet May Allah be pleased with him and be pleased with the companions and send his peace and blessings upon our Messenger and his family. Allahumma ameen. And inshallah ta'ala, as I said, next week we're going to take a break, inshallah ta'ala. Uh, and bi'idhnillahi ta'ala, uh, after I get back, inshallah ta'ala, we'll continue with Salman al Farisi, which will be a treat. So inshallah ta'ala, please do be present two weeks from now as we continue. And we can take a few questions uh, for now, inshallah. Zakhnullah. Sorry, go ahead. We know the Injil, uh, the Bible has been changed and stuff. The, the Torah that he was reading about the science, is that similar to the Old Testament that we see today? Or is there a version of that? Or has that also been changed? Good question. So what we see um, sort of, of the, the, the changes that took place within biblical scripture was the Torah that he was reading the same as the Old Testament today. Um, the Torah, generally speaking, and this is something Ibn al-Qayyim rahimahullah, I believe Ibn al-Qayyim, I don't want to actually misquote him, but I believe he, he mentions this, but historically speaking has a little more rigor to it in terms of preservation than what came in terms of the Gospels and the Injil. Why? Because what was revealed to Isa Islam is almost entirely lost. And of course the Gospels, uh, what, what it means when you say the Gospels today has a different implication altogether than 
the Injil. So there is, of course, tahrif, there is, of course, alteration and change, and change over time. However, generally speaking, um, there is less change within the Torah, right, than there would, than there would have been uh, what's known as the Old Testament with the New Testament. Uh, of course, it's still not the, uh, the initial revelation to Musa a.s., uh, but there is some change. So how different is it from there till now? Allah knows best. But one thing that we know is that uh, even what exists today, there are you know, implications of a prophet to come, uh, indications of a prophet to come, and implications of a messenger to come. We, of course, believe that that is the Prophet As Muslims, we will say that that's the Prophet Deuteronomy 18.18.2, the, the literate Prophet from the brothers of Musa and multiple other references that we would take to be the Prophet uh, So clearly at that time, the indications would have been even clearer and more pristine, which we'll find from Waraka and Zaid and you know, other people. Uh, that were learned in the scriptures at the time that immediately saw the Prophet ﷺ as a confirmation of those verses. And Najashi radiallahu ta'ala anhu and others. Jazakumullah khair. Would a question from the sisters? I thought I saw one of the sisters holding a mic. Yeah, yeah. It's just you. Okay. <laughs> Anyone have a question from the sisters? It seems he adopted Islam from day one. So why he didn't share with the Prophet all the beginning, Badr and Uhud and the okay. other, you know. I'm sorry, can you say that again? I'm saying why he did not share with the Prophet all the wars in the beginning, you know, to defend Islam, like in Uhud or in uh, Badr. I mean, obviously he was there because he waited for... Oh, you're saying why didn't he fight alongside the Prophet Sallallahu yeah. So... It's important to know that sometimes when you don't have the mashahids, when you don't have the, um, the, the battles listed, or someone being listed, that doesn't mean they weren't there, but that means the presence wasn't necessarily noteworthy. So uh, the understanding, and, and you'll see with, with someone like Abdullah ibn Salam, it'll say, for example, some of them say he witnessed Badr Uhud and so on, some of them say he didn't, um, that he was amongst those that were not present. Allah knows best, but certainly he was not amongst those that were sinful, that were blameworthy. Uh, and it could be that he was present, but he was not particularly uh, active uh, within the battle at the time. Yeah, certainly not amongst the sinful though, or any, anyone blameworthy. Yeah, I think that'll be the last question. So then I could take your question privately, so we could do that and so Yeah. Yeah. Uh, basically, it sounds like Abdullah ibn Salam is about uh, in his 70s when he embraces Islam. But he's still climbing at the top of the palm trees to look out. So it sounds like he's f quite fit. And so my question was going to be basically, did he participate in many battles, even though he's you know, quite old? Yeah, so again, the same answer about battles uh, with Abdullah ibn who We're just not sure uh, about what the implications would be when it comes to battles or what his participation or lack of participation would be. If I find something else, I'll maybe mention it in the next lecture, inshallah. Zakmalal Khaidan. Inshallah I'll take I'll take it privately inshallah ta'ala so we can make time for the adhan. So Zakmalal Khaidan. So I'll see you all in two weeks inshallah ta'ala. Uh keep me in your du'a bidinahi ta'ala. And I will do the same uh, for you inshallah. Subhanakum Hamdika Shadwa Lailana, Tastahiruku Atubaraik wa salam alaikum rahmatullah. This podcast was brought to you by Yaqeen Institute for Islamic Research, dismantling doubts and nurturing conviction, one truth at a time. 
Tune in every week for the next episode, and don't forget to subscribe to this channel and share with friends. Until next time, this has been The Firsts, The Forerunners of Islam.